Hello, friends, and welcome to Into the Word, a radio and online program committed to reading, loving, and living the whole counsel of God. Lord willing, our intention is to go verse by verse and chapter by chapter through the entire Bible. Here to continue that journey is our Bible teacher at Into the Word, Pastor Paul Carter. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. If you have your Bible with you, I'd love for you to open it now to Proverbs chapter 29. As mentioned previously, in chapter 25, we entered into collection 5, which runs from chapter 25, verse 1, through to chapter 29, verse 27. So, obviously, with this chapter, we're coming to the end of this section. This entire section has been considered by many scholars as a sort of manual for future rulers. The focus in chapter 29 does seem to be on justice and leadership in the home and in the public square. Bruce Walke uses the phrase rearing and ruling to characterize the body of text we're about to read, and I think that suits it very well. Hear now the word of the Lord, beginning at verse 1. He who is often reproved, yet stiffens his neck, will suddenly be broken beyond healing. The book of Proverbs has often warned us against stubbornness, that Warning is actually part of the motto for the book as a whole. Proverbs 1.7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So, this is a core teaching. Tremper Longman III says here, Those who are repeatedly warned about behavior that has potentially dangerous consequences, but do not listen, will find all of a sudden that the consequences have caught up with them, and they will have moved beyond the point where an easy fix is possible, closed quote. Young people, old people too, but particularly young people, the best advice that I can give to you based on this passage is this. Be teachable. Seek out instruction. Don't be so defensive every time an older person, a parent or a pastor or a teacher tries to tell you something. Just take a breath. Listen. Think about it. And be open to the possibility of receiving that word and applying it in your life. If you can do that, you will dramatically increase your odds of success. Verse 2, when the righteous increase, the people rejoice. But when the wicked rule, the people groan. We encountered similar teaching in the previous chapter in verses 12 and 28. Citizens flourish when righteous people are in charge, but society suffers when it is ruled over by the wicked. Character matters. Leadership matters. And citizens will figure that out one way or the other. Verse 3. He who loves wisdom makes his father glad, but a companion of prostitutes squanders his wealth. This, of course, is a fresh variation on a common theme in Proverbs. We remember back in Proverbs 10.1 when we were told that a wise son makes a glad father but a foolish son is a sorrow to his mother. All right, so this also is a core teaching. Who we are and who we become will affect those who are closest to us. So be wise and your parents will be happy. Squander your wealth on prostitutes and corrupt your character through dissolute living and you will break your mother's heart. Verse four, by justice, a king builds up the land but he who exacts gifts tears it down. Here we're being told that a good king or leader who makes just and righteous decisions 
builds up the land, whereas the one who only wants to extract wealth from the land and from the people tears it down. Matthew Henry has a wonderful quote here on the care and business of the leader. He says, The care and business of a prince should be to establish the land, to maintain its fundamental laws, to settle the minds of his subjects and to make them easy, to secure their liberties and properties from hostilities and for posterity, and to set in order the things that are wanting. This he must do by judgment, by wise counsels, and by the steady administration of justice without respect of persons, which will have these good effects, close quote. Amen. God, send us a multitude of leaders who will lead and serve like that. Verse 5. A man who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet. Yes, indeed. William McCain says here, The sycophant is not to be trusted. For words which are too smooth and too obviously designed to gratify are a form of premeditated malice and a cloak for evil conduct. Wise people understand that. Verse 6. An evil man is ensnared in his transgression, but a righteous man sings and rejoices. This is a wonderful verse. The Hebrew actually says that the transgressions of an evil man contain a snare. So the idea here is that in the bad things that bad people do, the seeds of their destruction are sown. They're going to do things that bring them down. These are folks who are literally sawing the branch upon which they sit. So don't worry. Their destruction is sure. But the righteous man skips through life. He wakes up happy and sings. He knows if God is for him, who can stand against him? The Apostle Paul was this kind of person. Even though he was in and out of jail his entire adult life, even though he was beaten with rods and run out of town and frequently harassed by opponents, even still, he could say, if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Close quote. That's Philippians 2.17. So Paul says, even if this ministry costs me my life, even if I pour out my blood upon all my work and labor, I am glad and I rejoice with you all. Perspective is everything. Hope is everything. Faith is everything. When you know who you are and whose you are and where you are going, then suffering is light, affliction is fleeting, and all seems cause for rejoicing. That is exactly what is being talked about here. Verse 7, a righteous man knows the rights of the poor. A wicked man does not understand such knowledge. Everywhere in the Old Testament, particularly in the wisdom literature, there is an assumption that part of what it means to be a good man, part of what it means to be a leader is to care for the poor and the vulnerable in society. When Job was defending his integrity in Job chapter 29, he said, I delivered the poor who cried for help and the fatherless who had none to help him. The blessing of him who was about to perish came upon me and I caused the widow's heart to sing for joy. I put on righteousness and it clothed me. My justice was like a robe and a turban. I was eyes to the blind and feet to the lame. I was a father to the needy 
and I searched out the cause of him whom I did not know. I broke the fangs of the unrighteous and made him drop his prey from his teeth. Job 29, 12 to 17. So Job says, I did what a good man does. I I took responsibility for orphans. I, I defended the weak against those who would exploit them. I protected widows. I assisted the disabled. I provided opportunities for those who were in need. I actively resisted wicked and violent people. I did everything expected of a righteous man. Now, that defense plays a very important role in the story of Job, but here we're interested in it simply because it reflects the understanding that is being put forward here in Proverbs. Remember, this entire book, and this section of the book in particular, is some sort of manual for future leaders. And and here, these leaders are being told that if you have power, if you have position in society, then part of your job is to use that for the benefit of the poor and the vulnerable. That's what a leader is. That's what a leader does. God, send us more men and women like that. Verse 8. Scoffers set a city aflame, but the wise turn away wrath. Alan P. Ross is helpful here. He says, scoffers make dangerous situations worse, whereas the wise calm things down and ensure peace in the community. Close quote. Yes, beware of leaders who think their job is to fan the flames of social unrest and political upheaval. Beware of leaders who build their brand by shouting the loudest and by making the most dire predictions and by offering the most distorted and exaggerated analysis of the difficulties that we are facing. That plays well on social media, and it can get you fantastic ratings on cable TV, but it does little to advance our shared society. In a time of crisis, we need sober discourse, mature perspective, and rational plans. Verse 9. If a wise man has an argument with a fool, the fool only rages and laughs, and there is no quiet. William McCain is helpful again here. He talks about how to go into court with a fool, you have to reckon with unreasonable and objectionable behavior and a complete lack of proportion. I've experienced a little bit of this myself. I've attempted to achieve understanding with someone only to realize this person has a completely distorted perception of reality. Okay, well, there's not much you can do in a situation like that. You just have to make sure your own heart is pure before the Lord and carry on. I think that's what the Apostle Paul meant when he said, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. That's Romans 12, 18. Sometimes it's not possible because it doesn't depend on you. There are issues on the other side. The wise person understands that and moves on. Verse 10. Bloodthirsty men hate one who is blameless and seek the life of the upright. Darkness hates the light. Bloodthirsty people hate those who are blameless, both because their righteous behavior creates an unfavorable contrast to their wicked behavior, and also because their very presence in society functions as a form of restraint. Just like how streetlights cut down on neighborhood crime, the mere presence of good people offers an unwelcome environment for the free reign of evil. Verse 11, a fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. Yes, we've seen this before. Part of wisdom, part of maturity is learning to exercise self-control. You don't have to say 
everything you're thinking. You don't have to air all of your big feelings. Children, of course, struggle with this, but adults, particularly those who aspire to influence and leadership in the community, must develop this capacity. Verse 12. If a ruler listens to falsehood, all his officials will be wicked. This is so important for leaders to understand. What you listen to is what you incentivize. Pastors, you need to understand this. If you have an open door for critical people, then guess what? You will encourage critical people to seek you out. If you hang out a sign that says, complaints welcomed here, then guess what? you will be overrun with criticism. If you hang out a sign that says, I listen to gossip, then guess what? You will be overrun with gossip, slander, and falsehood. What you listen to is what you incentivize. So show yourself open to honest and constructive feedback, and that's what you'll get. Show yourself completely disinterested in petty criticism and silly gossip, and they'll take that garbage somewhere else. Figure that out early in whatever leadership enterprise you're engaged in. Verse 13, the poor man and the oppressor meet together. The Lord gives light to the eyes of both. This is a wonderful little verse about our common humanity. Even those who oppress us are not to be hated. They are, after all, fellow human beings. They're image bearers. We are all, in that very general sense, children of God. Jesus spoke about our common humanity as well, and he spelled out the same implications that are being hinted at here. He said in Matthew 5, to 45, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven, for he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust, closed quote. Our common humanity must put a limit on all our rivalries and hostilities. Now, can we have different opinions? Of course. Can we protest injustice? Of course. Can we disagree vigorously? Of course. But in our striving and in our seeking and in all our debates, dialogues, and protestations, let us never forget that we are all creatures of our God and King. And therefore, we must treat each other with the dignity and respect such status demands. God help. Verse 14. If a king faithfully judges the poor, his throne will be established forever. Yes, there is a connection between the justice of a king and the stability of his reign. You can only ignore and abuse the poor for so long, and then civil war is going to happen, guillotines are going to happen, upheaval is going to happen. History is filled with illustrations of this principle. Verse 15. The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. Here we have two common themes in the book of Proverbs intertwined. The idea that discipline has to be firm for character to develop. And again, the idea that who we are and who we become affects other people, particularly those who love us. Verse 16. When the wicked increase, transgression increases, but the righteous will look upon their downfall. As has been said many times before over the course of this series, much of wisdom comes down to this. Play the long game. Yes, evil may flourish. The wicked may occupy many of the good spots on the board. Yes, that that does happen. And things can get pretty bad out there at times. But just you wait. 
God intervenes. He enters the room and he wipes all ill-gotten gains off the board, and only those who have played by his rules will remain. He does that providentially from time to time in history, and he will certainly do that climactically at the end of the age. So, no matter how long it takes, whether in this life or the next, be assured, righteousness is the winning strategy. So, know God, love God, submit to God, fear God. That's wisdom. Verse 17. Discipline your son and he will give you rest. He will give delight to your heart. Yes, this is exactly what was said in verse 15, using slightly different words. Verse 18. Where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. But blessed is he who keeps the law. In the Old Testament, the role of the prophets generally was to call people back to God and back to the law of God. We think of prophets like Amos, for example, who basically said to people, you're headed towards disaster. You can't do what you're doing to the poor and and you can't do what you're doing morally and spiritually and expect to get away with it. God sees. And if this continues, God will come in power and judgment. So here the sage is saying, When you don't have that voice, when when you don't have prophets like Nathan sticking their fingers in the king's chest and saying, you are the man, then society declines in a hurry. We need that prophetic voice. We need people who respect the law for society to flourish. Derek Kidner points out that passages like this one show the dependence of public morality on the knowledge of God, close quote. People in this culture who are so eager to defund the police and to erase all the vestiges of our Judeo-Christian heritage may want to stop and wonder what kind of world lies on the other side of those changes. John Adams said famously, Our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. Be careful what you wish for. When morality is abandoned, when there is no prophetic rebuke from an authoritative source, when there is no restraint on desire, self-expression, and individualism, freedoms disappear, and the iron fist of tyranny makes a comeback, because the only thing worse than a dictatorship is anarchy and chaos, and that's what you get when there is no prophetic rebuke. So again, friends and neighbors, be careful what you wish for. Verse 19, by mere words, a servant is not disciplined, for though he understands, he will not respond. So as for sons, so for servants, given the natural stubbornness and waywardness of the human heart, discipline must involve more than mere words. Some kind of force, restraint, some system of consequence, of course, is going to be required. Verse 20, do you see a man who is hasty in his words? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Yes, as in the discussion about temper, if you don't learn to control your tongue, then there is very little hope for you. Verse 21, whoever pampers his servant from childhood will, in the end, find him his heir. (laughs) Scholars aren't sure, actually, how to translate the very end of this verse. There's a word there in Hebrew that's only used here in the Bible, and we just aren't sure what it means. So the NIV renders this as, A servant pampered from youth will turn out to be insolent. The NRSV has it. 
a slave pampered from childhood will come to a bad end. We don't know, but the basic idea is clear. As with a son, so with a servant. A failure to discipline results in bad character, bad conduct, and bad company. Do the hard thing now, and everyone will benefit later. Verse 22. A man of wrath stirs up strife, and one given to anger causes much transgression. We've seen many proverbs already making the same basic point. Angry people create constant chaos. If there's an angry person driving whatever train you are on, then get off. That train is headed for trouble. This advice applies to churches, businesses, and even friendships. Linking yourself to an angry person is like handcuffing yourself to a gorilla. It's not a good life plan. He's either going to eat you or use you as a club to beat on others. Run for your life. Verse 23. One's pride will bring him low, but he who is lowly in spirit will obtain honor. Yes, we've seen this before. If you puff yourself up, life will bring you down. But if you bend down low in humility and become teachable and correctable, then life will lift you up. Verse 24. The partner of a thief hates his own life. He hears the curse, but discloses nothing. Anyone who watches cop shows on TV knows this principle. The person driving the getaway car gets the same life sentence as the hothead who pulled the trigger during the bank robbery. So don't get involved in things like that. You paint a target on yourself. That's the meaning of the phrase in the second half of the verse, by the way. Uh, that's from Leviticus 5.1, hearing the curse and disclosing nothing. In Leviticus 5.1, it says that when a crime has been committed in the community, an announcement will be made that anyone who has knowledge of the crime is to come forward. Anyone who has knowledge but refuses to come forward will bear the same curse as if he were the one who committed the crime. So don't be that guy. Don't be an accomplice with and don't cover for people who commit crimes. That is just asking for trouble in this life and the next. Verse 25. The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. If you're afraid of other people, what they think of you, what they might do to you, you will never live a full and free life. But if you fear God, then you will never need to fear anyone or anything else. As David said in Psalm 56, 4, In God I have put my trust. I will not fear what flesh can do unto me. Verse 26. Many seek the face of a ruler, but it is from the Lord that a man gets justice. Further to what we were just talking about, whenever we look at human beings as if they were God, we get off track. If we look to people for approval, we're going to be anxious and unhappy, as per verse 25. And here we see that if you look to human beings for ultimate justice, you're going to be very unhappy as well. Human justice is always provisional. It is supposed to restrain and it is supposed to anticipate. But full, final, perfect justice will only come on the last day. It is from the Lord that a man or a woman gets justice. Thanks be to God. Verse 27. An unjust man is an abomination to the righteous, but one whose way is straight is an abomination to the wicked. 
Yes, righteousness and wickedness are like oil and water. They do not and they cannot permanently coexist. Jesus' parable of the wheat and the weeds is making the same point. He says that the seed of the kingdom and the seed of the enemy are going to grow side by side until the end. The only thing that is going to disappear is the middle ground. But rest assured, an end will come, a final harvest, a final separation, when all causes of sin and all lawbreakers will be judged and removed once and for all from this world. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father forever and ever. Amen. Thanks be to God. And thank you for listening to another episode of Into the Word. If you've appreciated the Into the Word ministry, I'd like to personally invite you to pay it forward by supporting a mission project that is very close to my heart. The Letha Daycare Outreach Project is a church-based educational program designed to teach literacy, support low-income families, and share the gospel of Jesus Christ with boys and girls in rural South Africa. I've seen this project with my own eyes. I have shaken the hands of parents whose families have been helped. I have heard the songs and Bible verses out of the mouths of some of these dear children as they have been taught and helped to put their trust in the Lord. And nothing would be more gratifying to me than for you to show your appreciation for Into the Word by investing in these little ones. You can do that in one of two ways. You can give through the Into the Word app or by visiting the Into the Word website at intotheword.ca. Just click on the Give tab, and you'll find giving options for both Canadian and American listeners. This is a registered project with ABWE Canada and ABWE USA. So tax receipts are available to all eligible donors. Just identify where you're listening from and click on the Fund button and select Letha Daycare Outreach. Thank you for considering this method of showing your support for the End of the Word program. And may God alone be glorified. Your word is a lamp unto my feet.